Section 3, Hobbies. Good morning, family. I wish I was dedicated enough to look at the Verizon cell phone records to see when these messages originated, but I am not. My dad got his first cell phone from work. It was a Nextel piece of junk with one game, and you knew who had been using this cell phone by the oily grease that was crusted onto the plastic cover because no one ever bothered to clean it off when they were done using the phone. This phone was upgraded a couple of years later by what was known as the Blue Brick, which had slightly more games, but, and more importantly, a color screen. Then came Blackberry Numero Uno with this sleek ball that would light up as you scrolled through the phone looking for games. However, this one didn't have games, just a tempting game menu with nothing to actually show for itself. We are now back to yet another Blackberry, or should I say, the Blackberry. We did have the brief pleasure of having him use a government-issued iPhone for a few short years. I want to make it very clear that this was a government-issued iPhone. As soon as the government wanted it back, rather than purchase a phone with his government salary, we all heard the frequent complaints about how outrageously expensive iPhones were and how you'd have to be a fool to purchase one. Just as a side note, several of us fools were the unwilling recipients of these daily complaints. Along with the outrage regarding the price of the iPhone were yet more complaints regarding how difficult it was to use his new Samsung and later his refurbished Google Pixel. Among them included the difficult user interface and poor battery life. Since he couldn't be caught as a fool like the rest of us schmucks, he eventually went to have his Pixel battery replaced for $40 instead. This event took him multiple months to take place because he just couldn't decide if this amount of money was worth spending or if he should continue keeping his phone on the charger during all phone calls and looking forward to the surprise of having his phone power off when he wasn't connected to a power source. Now that we have a brief history on the telephones my father used, we can now delve into his relationship with these devices. Let's begin with his refusal to purchase one. In the spring of 2005, I rode with him from Temecula to Provo, Utah to pick up my sister from her first year of college. Her birthday happens to coincide with the end of the winter semester. So as we drove the 649 miles back to California, cramped amongst all of her crap, he asked her what she wanted for her 19th birthday. A cell phone, she said. We then spent the next several hours listening to how ridiculous the idea of having a cell phone was, not to mention the price. Two days later, he not only opened a Verizon account at Costco, but decided that it would be a good idea for my mom to have a cell phone as well. For the next several years, he griped about the stupidity of texting and how it discouraged young people in particular from developing meaningful relationships. We weren't allowed to have cell phones at the dinner table. Not that it would have been helpful since none of us could text anyway. Fast forward several years and the man cannot live a moment without his phone. With the exception of his daily good morning message, texting my father is like deciphering a 
riddle as every message is bound to have countless typographical errors. He checks his Zillow account almost as much as a 16-year-old girl checking Snapchat. Don't worry, Dad, if you've never heard of this app. Just trust me that you're a little too attached to your device. Morning, noon, and night, you can be sure to find him either mooching off Brandon's Audible account, catching up on the latest pictures of his Swedish cousins on Instagram, or listening to Al Jazeera with one earbud. For the past few years, he has sent a good morning text to our family because he now says it's a good way to keep us all connected. He's come a long way from texting is not an appropriate form of communication. The text is sent irrespective of the time zone of any of its recipients, so you're always sure to know his location. For proof, please see below. Thursday, November 12th, 8.55 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, folks. Friday, November 13th, 10.17 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Sunday, November 15th, 8.44 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Monday, November 16th, 8.09 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Tuesday, November 17th, 7.04 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Wednesday, November 18th, 6.54 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Thursday, November 19th, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Friday, November 20th, 6.10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Saturday, November 21st, 6.23 Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Sunday, November 22nd, 10.19 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Monday, November 23rd, 9.20 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Tuesday, November 24th, 9.42 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Wednesday, November 25th, 7.53 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Thursday, November 26th, 7.09 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Friday, November 27th, 9.38 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Saturday, November 28th, 10.02 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Sunday, November 29th, 10.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. Monday, November 30th, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good morning, family. He still refuses to purchase an iPhone for himself, and unfortunately for all involved, he will probably be telling us about his refusal to do so until the end of time. Though, there may be a glimmer of hope, since he was able to independently purchase one for my mother. Costco, an introduction. It is impossible to overstate my father's love for Costco. He brags about his unofficial Costco bucket list in which some of the most notable accomplishments include shopping at the very first Costco, back before it was even called Costco, shopping at business Costco, shopping at the world's largest Costco, and my personal favorite, shopping at the only Costco with french fries. 
When people ask what our parents' retirement plans are, I can only respond that their plans are to visit every Costco in the continental United States. You may think that we are exaggerating, but Ashley was coerced to drive an hour out of her way on a road trip from Tennessee to Texas so dad could visit a Costco in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia and cross yet another Costco off of his list. Not only does he love Costco, but he also appears to have some sort of homing beacon that takes him back to the mothership. Ashley was once trapped in the car with him, our mother, and a tired toddler as they attempted to navigate their way out of an empty parking lot at 11.30 at night. Despite access to a GPS and no other cars in the parking lot, they went around in circles for 30 minutes. But tell him you want to go to Costco anywhere in the country and he can get you there without a single wrong turn or using Google Maps. His obsession with Costco has deep roots. When I was in fifth grade, I had to make a travel brochure that included some of the places I had been. While others included places like Hawaii or Disneyland, mine included Costco across America. Costco, part two, frequency. He frequents Costco so often that not only is he aware of their daily inventory changes, but he keeps track of all personnel from cashiers to secret shoppers and holds this knowledge as a great source of pride. This is not limited to his local Costco either. He also keeps tabs on the employees of Club Demonstration Services, a subsidiary of Costco, aka the sample people. Fun fact, the Costco in Cedar Park, Texas, employs a sample prepper that loudly sings about Jesus at all hours of the day as he preps and serves samples. My father will repeatedly return for samples from this particular prepper in an effort to combine three of his favorite hobbies, Costco, freebies, and chit-chatting with strangers. At one point, he was stopping at Costco almost every day on his way home from work. During the Christmas season, he is known to go to Costco so often that cashiers have commented on the frequency of his trips. It wouldn't be Christmas Eve without the obligatory Costco trip. Costco, part three, distance. The commute to Costco is a key factor in his opinion of where you live, and he is sure to let you know his thoughts on the distance during the entire visit. The nearest Costco from my brother's house is at least a 45-minute drive. The nearest Sam's Club is 14 minutes. Which does he insist on taking the grandkids to? Costco. Of course, a testament to his dedication to Costco is the fact that he thinks it is an enjoyable activity to sit in the car with toddlers for 90 minutes only to window shop at Costco. Costco. Part 4. Food. His rare deviations from his four favorite foods of boiled eggs, grilled chicken, oatmeal, and lamb occur at Costco. The only prepackaged foods he dares to eat are at Costco in the form of samples, because he does not believe that any self-respecting individual should eat pre-prepared foods unless it comes in the form of a Kirkland signature lasagna. The food court is among his two favorite restaurants, and by two favorites, I mean the only two venues he views as acceptable to consume food outside your home. If he could eat a Costco hot dog every day, I'm sure he would. Not only does he find it delicious, but the value is just so economical that it makes it taste that much better. 
For years, his Costco special consisted of a Polish dog and a dipped cone. The dipped cone had nothing conical about it as it was actually an ice cream bar dipped in chocolate. Despite the clear signage stating, ice cream bar, he always insisted on requesting a dipped cone. A request which typically ended with an irritated employee and some vigorous pointing towards the jar of melted chocolate hiding behind the register. It was a sad day for all of us when his two favorite items were discontinued, though there is still hope that he will get his food court dipped cone if he is ever able to guilt my sister into another road trip. Rogeland, Mississippi debuted an actual dipped cone in 2019. Growing up, I thought that only rich people, or stupid people, as my father viewed it, bought pizza from anywhere but Costco. I couldn't understand how Domino's or Papa John's could stay in business because we were told that Costco was the only viable option for pizza. The food court also prevented our family from ever having to purchase crushed red pepper and Parmesan cheese. I had another taco shell moment a few weeks ago when I was quite the spendthrift and spent a whole dollar on a jar of crushed red pepper. The only time I have ever heard my father complain about Costco is in regards to their food court cups. My father is a big believer in free, and in order to get the most out of his 59 cents, he intends to refill his extra-large ditzy cup until the bottom falls out from sogginess in the middle of the store. To prevent this embarrassing display, he stacks multiple cups inside each other for maximum leak protection. He believes that Costco should do every cheapskate a favor and go in the way of Sam's Club with their food court cups by moving from the paper Dixies to styrofoam. That way, the 59 cents can get you a lifetime of ice-cold Pepsi. I've often explained to him that the sign says, quote, free refill, as in singular, as in only once, but he does not see it that way. I have also explained that they probably have chosen those Jumbo Dixie cups for the sole purpose of forcing cheapskates to eventually part with another 59 cents to purchase another cup. Costco, part five, clothing. Most of his clothes are from Costco and I'd be surprised if he's purchased any clothes post 2010 that were not from Costco. This has resulted in an assortment of extra-large neon exercise shirts and cargo shorts that fail to completely cover his underwear. In 2013, he discovered Urban Star jeans that feature two-way stretch technology and go for $14.99 plus tax. He had a proud moment when he ventured to the store during Christmas and realized that he, Michael, Colin, and Brian were all wearing the same pants. He did not stop at recommending the Urban Star jeans to family members, though. During his daily rounds, he would stand at a pile of jeans and recommend them to passers-by. All of his shoes, with the exception of the one pair of indestructible Crocs, or as he calls them, all-weather shoes, are also from Costco. When the dreaded day came that Kirkland Signature Court Classics were being redesigned, he stocked up on as many as he could find to ensure an ample supply through the end of days. He's tried to share his love of Court Classics with his posterity through the years. However, it has never gone quite as well as one might hope. 
For reasons beyond him, he could not understand why a 14-year-old would not appreciate the arch support those pearly whites had to offer. When said 14-year-old took a job with Sam's Club after college, my father would call me confused why my brother would be so inclined to work for Sam's Club as if we were the Capulets and the Sam's Club were the Montagues. When my sister and I reached a new low and purchased Sam's Club memberships, he insisted that we take him so he could compare the cheap crap we were being swindled into purchasing. He kept a Sam's Club temporary membership in his wallet for years until it was so worn out that you couldn't even read the text just to sneak behind enemy lines. Costco. Part 6. Returns. He's also a huge fan of their no-questions-asked return policy. Shockingly, after traveling the globe bi-weekly for almost a decade with his aquamarine Kirkland signature suitcase, the zipper broke. Because he is a frugal noodle, he remembered that his suitcase had a lifetime warranty, so he believed it was well within his rights to return his beloved suitcase. And he did, with no questions which then fed his obsession to the nth degree for many years to come. Chit-chatting. Another appealing feature of Costco is the socializing that is bound to occur within the confines of that property. This is not limited to the random victims of conversation he inevitably scouts out or the people watching, including my personal favorite, the dangler, which resulted in him planning his Saturday visits around this individual to ensure a weekly sighting. Invariably, he will run into someone he knows and potentially spend the next hour with them just shooting the breeze. This also may or may not result in him posing for a picture with these people for future posterity. Please see below. Saturdays with Dean. I cannot belabor my childhood self's disdain for weekends enough. To me, weekends were supposed to be filled with all things fun, and this includes sleeping in. Dina Dowie had other ideas. When I learned the song Saturday in primary, I just knew that sicko Rita S. Robinson had written it to torture me. It's basically an homage to my dad's philosophy for how to ruin a child's weekend and my mom's philosophy to make everything churchy. Let me do you a favor and share these lyrics with you. Saturday. Saturday is a special day. It's the day we get ready for Sunday. We clean the house and we shop at the store. We brush our clothes and we shine our shoes and we call it our get the work done day. Then we trim our nails and we shampoo our hair so we can be ready for Sunday. We call it our get the work done day. Seriously, Rita, way to crush a child's hopes and dreams. You always knew what time it was based on what NPR show 89.3 KPCC crackled through the speakers. You knew that it was impossible to keep sleeping when Scott Simon started your day with weekend edition piercing through your ears no matter how many pillows you managed to pile on top of your head. 
During weekend edition, before any of the fog had burned off, we were summoned outside for some yard work. You would think that after all of the hours of yard work, at a certain point, we would stop finding rat's nest in the lavender. But when you recruit your four children as gardeners, it's best to keep expectations low. Yard work would be followed by housework and showers for some of us. Once we were clean and ready for our get the work done day, we were piled into the dented Ford Aerostar minivan and trapezed across town for this week's errands to the tune of Peter Sagal and Carl Castle's News Roundup. Like anything in the Adawi family, it must be done with everyone. Among the weekly errands always included looking at model homes. For years, we trekked around T-Town looking at new homes, gathering ideas for plans for more additions to the Frankenstein house. Dad took notes on the back of some spam mail that doubled as his grocery list and snapped pictures with his Olympus digital camera in between chit-chatting with unsuspecting strangers who might actually purchase one of these homes. By the time he had a blinding headache from the dehydration and low blood sugar, we were piled into the car yet again for another trip to Costco, where my father would make one of us fill up his soggy Costco cup before we headed inside for lunch. For the record, the Temecula Costco food court is located outside. Our lunch often consisted of scavenging for samples within the building, unless you were Michael, in which case a purchased item would be brought out to the car to eat at his leisure. No Costco trip would be complete without another refill before riding home to the tune of Garrison Keillor's barrage of folk musicians. You knew that you were almost through yet another weekend fun sucking when Ira Glass opened your eyes to the existence of another nutjob American family. By this time of day, your will had either been broken or you were too tired to care that yet another Saturday of your childhood was dedicated to NPR, chores, and Costco. cash. In the early 2000s, my father developed the new hobby of clearance shopping at Kohl's. He would save up all of his Kohl's cash, then peruse the clearance sections for Hawaiian shirts. He prided himself in never purchasing any clothing full price. Since most Hawaiian shirts are 95% polyester, these atrocities are able to withstand most any wear and tear and once they are through being worn would be cut and reused as rags for years to come. Because they are virtually indestructible, this led to a closet fit for a geriatric cruise goer many times over. One Saturday, however, he ventured out of his comfort zone toward the sunglass stand, whereupon he discovered a pair of pale orange sunglasses for one dollar. And of course, because he had his 20% off coupon, he could not pass up on such a great deal. However, he failed or more likely ignored the fact that they were in a section for women's sunglasses. He walked out of the store sporting his new find. 
When the sunglasses broke several years later, he spent more time and money searching for the perfect screw to keep them together than the original retail price of the glasses. At one point, because he couldn't bear to part with these ladies' glasses, he just wore them broken. I guess he hadn't learned his lesson and should have been stocking up on ladies' sunglasses rather than loud polyester shirts the whole time. Steal of a deal. Like most families, we had an ongoing donation pile growing up. Every so often, we would load our garbage into the van and dump it in the back of the Salvation Army off Jefferson Avenue. One rainy Saturday afternoon, we hauled our crap to the Salvation Army trailer once more. The trailer was overflowing this particular day, and the poor employee was probably sick of being out in the cold, so we dumped our old clothes and crossed our fingers that we would be on our way. As my father muttered to himself about not being able to get his tax write-off receipt due to that darn employee, a pleather chair caught his eye. This chair was sitting just outside the trailer. A normal individual would think, Either the person donating this chair or the employee was too lazy to haul this chair into the trailer upon arrival to the donation center. This chair now belongs to Salvation Army. However, my father is not what you would classify as a normal individual. He thinks outside the box. In this case, the box was an 18-wheel trailer with a faded Salvation Army logo stamped on the side. According to him, because this chair was outside the trailer, it was technically not yet the property of Salvation Army. Therefore, any interested passerby could be free to pick up the chair and do with it what they pleased. So that's what he did. When we got home, we learned a couple of things about this chair. I saw them as reasons for which it had been placed outside the Salvation Army trailer. My father saw them as opportunities. Number one, the chair was missing a key safety piece that prevented the user from being hurled upside down in the chair. If you thrust your back with just a slight amount of force, you could land yourself upside down in this contraption. If you have seen the scene in Sweet Home Alabama, you understand this is a cause for concern. Number two, this massage chair lacked the cord necessary to hook it up to an electrical socket. These barriers were no match for my father, the king of what my eldest brother refers to as home jobbies. If you were to find home jobby in Webster's Dictionary, it would state the following. Home jobby, an amateur attempt to patch together a project you probably should have paid someone with more patience, skill, and knowledge than you possess to do. As an engineer slash king of home jobbies, my father quickly determined that the cord to my mother's keyboard fit just perfectly enough with his new find and commandeered it forevermore. Now he could enjoy this chair in all its glory. However, leaving it in the living room would not allow him to enjoy the chair to its fullest capacity. For that, he would have to park it on the front porch.
There's no such thing as a free lunch. When I was a senior in high school, my dad and I went to the grand opening of the new T-Town Hospital. He wanted me to be a doctor. I'm a nurse. Clearly that was a blow to him. My father was a med tech when he was in the Air Force. He used to talk about doing manual diffs and doing phlebotomy on the graveyard at Childress Hospital. He lucked out because he served in the 80s, so his most dangerous encounters were trying to get home during tornado season. Getting a hospital was a big deal for our community, and clearly the balloon arch at the entrance reflected that. Because, as the president of Science Olympiad, a member of the National Honor Society, I was your regular socialite. We spent the Saturday afternoon making a quick trip at the Home Depot for just one more part because every project he committed to the Frankenstein House required at least 12 trips, and then we were off for our VIP tour. We parked in a gravel parking lot in his Burgundy Scion XB with the factory defect cracked windshield and queued up to join a tour. Tours consisted of 15 people eager to see where they would be receiving their sugar-free jello after their dual knee replacements. Among painting, listening to NPR, and keeping up with all the latest gossip on Instagram, one of my father's many hobbies includes conversing with random people. He shares this hobby with only one other person I know, my oldest brother, and both gain the greatest satisfaction from conversations with randos when this person happens to be Medicare eligible. The victim of the day was a squat man with a shiny cul-de-sac on top. As I said, I was quite the socialite, and this further proved it because even my own father found conversing with strangers to be better than walking the soon-to-be feces-laden floors with me. Mr. Cul-de-sac chatted up a storm, letting us know that he had moved from Ohio, but just adored the quaint town of Temecula. If you ever want something from my father, you have two options. One, have Brandon get it. Two, tell him about the beauties of Temecula. His amateur photography of Temecula's natural beauty, mainly dirt and parched hills, could fill volumes. Mr. Cul-de-sac was well on his way to gaining favor in the eyes of Dina Dowie. By the end of the tour, Mr. Cul-de-sac was pulling out a spare Albertson's receipt to jot down his phone number. As he thrust it in his newfound friend's hand, he noted that fate had brought them together and asked if they could meet up for a meal. The meal never happened, though if Mr. Cul-de-sac had offered a free meal... I am certain a second encounter surely would have occurred. Farmer John When I started college, we packed up my parents' minivan with way too much stuff and drove the 649-mile drive to Utah. I make a point to specify the miles rather than the estimated time because Google estimates this drive takes 9 hours and 19 minutes. Never have I ever made it in fewer than 12 while traveling with Dana Dowie. This may be because he has the bladder the size of a marble or perhaps because he requires an hour-long pit stop at the St. George Costco to people watch polygamous over a hot dog and caffeine-free Diet Coke. 
Each time you visit the St. George Costco, he will remind you that only in Utah do they stock the soda fountains with caffeine-free Diet Coke. As you make your way northward, he will seriously contemplate whether or not it's worth it to stop in Hurricane to stop for more polygamous or drive through Mount Pleasant to smell the fresh air, rank from turkey farms. Upon reaching the Orem Comfort Inn and Suites, he was sure to ask for a room with a view, meaning a room facing north toward the Krispy Kreme Donuts. This way, he could inform you when the light was on at all hours of the night and hop over in his Crocs and socks for a free donut. Besides the continental breakfast, my father's favorite part of any hotel is the jacuzzi. I can only count on one hand the number of times I have seen him in a swimming pool. However, give him access to a hotel and he will be at the jacuzzi within minutes. This is why he has a dedicated swimsuit in his on-travel bag along with the other necessities like a razor and toothpaste. During this particularly delightful soak, my father introduced himself to a lone squat Idahoan we will call Farmer John. As previously mentioned, chit-chatting with strangers is one of my father's favorite hobbies, along with pushing buttons. This conversation provided a two-fold purpose in which he could push my buttons while chatting with his unsuspecting victim. He informed Mr. Farmer that we were visiting to drop me off at college, which then led to a lengthy discussion of marriage prospects because, of course, that is the only natural topic to discuss with an 18-year-old. To my father's delight, Mr. Farmer looked me straight in the eye and said, quote, don't mess with any of those other buildings. Just stick around the Clyde building and you'll find a quality husband. My father loved this for multiple reasons. Number one, it made me angry that we were talking about getting married when I had come to school to get a degree and not a marriage license. And number two, because he himself is a proud graduate of the Ira A. Fulton School of Engineering. He loved this even more five years later when he attended my husband's graduation from you guessed it, the Ira A. Fulton School of Engineering. If it's for free, it's for me. In the fall of 2017, I saw a post asking for someone to pick up the leftovers from Panera Bread so that it could be dropped off at a local food bank. In an effort to try and find some service I could squeeze in between shifts at the hospital and schoolwork, I thought this fit the bill perfectly. Not long after, I told my dad about it, and soon enough he was zipping around Temecula in his powder blue minivan loaded up with carbs. He arranged to pick up Panera's leftovers on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings and drop off the loads on the following days but not without skimming a bit of cream off the top first. Noble cause. Well, not quite. If you know anything about Tina Dowie, you understand that if it's for free, it's for me, is his unspoken life motto. Free chair outside Salvation Army? 
If it's for free, it's for me. Unlimited subscription to Audible using my son's account. If it's for free, it's for me. Bread for the homeless. If it's for free, it's for me. Soon he was showing up at all sorts of gatherings with his day-old baked goods, high priest group meetings, empty nesters, visiting grandma, you name it. He would show up to neighbors' homes in the middle of the week with a plate of cookies. I just thought you might enjoy these. Did he mention they were not baked by him, let alone siphoned off the supply to the homeless? Nope. While I agree, Panera can sue any occasion. Usually it's implied that the person supplying it has paid for the product rather than waiting outside every Tuesday night for the unsold cookies. He took this sentiment to a new extreme when he thought Michael and Kim's wedding would be yet another perfect occasion for these treats. After the ceremony, we all met up for sandwiches at the church where this reception would be held. We set out rolls, chips, cheeses, and deli meats for people to build their own lunch. When Dad pulled out his boxes of Panera treats, he received the usual, ooh, Panera, as people made a beeline for the pastries. And as usual, he nodded with satisfaction, confirming his belief that if it's for free, it's for me. king of chit-chat. Dina Dowie is the king of chit-chatting. Chit-chatting is meandering, but instead of physically going somewhere, you sit and talk for hours and hours on end about nothing. Chit-chatting is one of Dina Dowie's favorite hobbies. He can do it anytime, anywhere. He has turned chit-chatting into one of the most used words in his vocabulary. It comes up at least once a week. I saw brother so-and-so at Costco and we chit-chatted a bit. Or, what should we do when I come to visit? I thought we could get some food from Costco and chit-chat. Somehow Costco and chit-chatting always go hand in hand. I am not a chit-chatter. It's not that I don't like talking to people, but I really cannot see the point in having a conversation about nothing when there are things to get done. Dad loves to chit-chat while other people work, particularly while other people make extremely time-consuming meals for a crowd. He will sit at the counter, pick a chit-chatting buddy, Brandon and Brian are among his favorites, and talk about nothing. It's like Seinfeld, but in real life. As mentioned above, he can chit-chat anywhere. While his kitchen is the ideal, he's not picky about the location. He can chit-chat with strangers as the rest of the family attempts to walk at a brisk pace on the National Mall. He can chit-chat with Brandon at the Air and Space Museum while the grandkids climb the space shuttle exhibit. He can chit-chat around Wright's Lake twice a day. He can chit-chat with Brian as they drive 45 miles an hour down Highway 1 and Mikey throws up in the back seat. But his chit-chatting activities are not limited to family members, friends, or even acquaintances. He can chit-chat with the telemarketer on the phone, the grocery store clerk, or my personal favorite, his mechanic, Anthony. These conversations are typically followed by, he was a chatty fellow. Yes, that must be it. There is no other explanation for why randos flock to you. He strongly dislikes any situation that inhibits chit-chatting. Restaurants are death to chit-chatting. 
I've personally had great conversations at restaurant, but there's no faster way to shut him up than take him to an Italian restaurant of any kind. His ideal holiday celebrations include the dip that Brian likes, which for the record we only buy when dad is in town, bowls of fresh whipped cream, chilled Coke Zero, and chit-chatting in the kitchen while somebody, but not him, makes hundreds of pot stickers by hand. When confronted with the unpleasant reality that his chit-chatting actually prevents people from getting anything done, he is quick to respond with, we were just chit-chatting. Yes, we know. You think I'm kidding. I assure you that I am not.